Well, hello. You guys ready to go? Ready to go? All right, let's do this. Hey, um, one of the things that you should know about me, especially those of you who are newer to Heartland and haven't been around for that long, one of the things that you should know about me is that I love a good ceremony. I do. I love a good ceremony. I love the pomp and circumstance. I love that we typically get dressed up for our ceremonies. I love that a lot of times family and friends gather together to help celebrate a ceremony. I love the history and the tradition behind our ceremonies. And I love the simple thought that our lives are marked by key moments and the belief that those key moments deserve a ceremony. And so over the course of our lifetime, we take part in a variety of ceremonies, beginning with beginning of life ceremonies. Many times when a child is born, parents will have some type of ceremony to celebrate that, such as a, a child dedication ceremony. Over the course of our lives, of course, we take part in a variety of ceremonies, from graduation ceremonies to wedding ceremonies, even all the way to end of life ceremonies, when we gather together to lay someone that we love to rest. And as it relates to our faith, of course, Jesus gives us two incredible ceremonies, communion and baptism. Communion, which is the ceremony that we celebrated together last week, is a ceremony that Jesus gave to us at the Last Supper. When Jesus gathered together with his closest friends and followers on the night before he went to the cross, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to gather together. And Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus said, I want you to do this, quote unquote, in remembrance of me. And so we see that the earliest followers of Jesus gathered together regularly and consistently to share in this ceremony of communion together as they remembered Jesus and what he had done for them. And so this is one of the traditions that we are now part of even 2,000 years later. And the other ceremony that Jesus gave to his followers is the ceremony of baptism. Baptism is the ceremony which publicly celebrates the private decision that somebody makes to place their faith in Jesus, to experience that initial change that we talked about two weeks ago. Baptism is this beautiful, beautiful uh, illustration of being cleansed, of being washed white as snow. It's a reminder that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's symbolic of being laid in, in our sin, laid down in death, but being brought back to life in Christ. And today, we have the privilege and honor of celebrating with a group of people who have made that decision to follow Jesus and now get to celebrate it with the ceremony of baptism. And for all of us to celebrate with them, it is going to be a good day. Are you excited? Yes. It is going to be a good day. Well, as I said, baptism is the celebration of that, of that decision to follow Jesus, of that initial change that they've experienced. We're in this series where we're just simply talking about that change that every follower of Jesus experiences, and we've called the series very creatively Changed. Um, but over the course of this short three-week series, we're talking about the three types of change that every follower of Jesus experiences. There's an initial change, then there's the ongoing change, and then finally there's an eternal change. And each week in this series, we've talked about one of those different types of change. And so again, two weeks ago, we talked about that initial change, and we said that, that, that the kind of the big classic church word for that initial change is justification. It's the moment when we are justified before God for now and forevermore. We read passages like the one in 2 Corinthians that talk about this moment, this initial change of justification, where the Apostle Paul writes, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Every single one of the people who are being baptized today have experienced that change in their life. And one of the things that we asked people to do when they registered to be baptized is to share a bit of their story with us. At the end of our time together, we have the the opportunity to watch as some of the people sat down in front of the camera to share their story in their own words. But I wanted to take the moment to just share with you one of them that we didn't get a chance to film because it it is a reminder of what God does. It is a reminder of the change that we are invited to experience. And so this person writes that they first started attending Heartland in June of 2020. So right in the middle of the pandemic, they, they found Heartland. When asked how they first found out about Heartland, uh, she said she saw a post on Instagram. So praise the Lord, at least some good is happening on social media. There's at least a little bit, people, okay? Um, What role has Heartland played in your spiritual journey? She said, I have been searching for a church home for many, many years. I had attended many churches, but never felt the feeling that this is where God wanted me to be. When I found Heartland, even in the midst of the pandemic, I found a sense of peace about attending Heartland, even though it has only been online so far. Since June, I have been watching sermons online, following along on social media, and participating in several of the drives that Heartland has had for the community. Throughout all of this, my faith has grown immensely. The community that Heartland has created for me online is something I'm so excited to be a part of and can't wait to grow closer to this community at Heartland in person very soon. I grew up in a very religious household. Being a part of the church and connecting with Christ was an everyday thing for me. I truly loved Jesus with everything in me. But when I was 17, I was involved in an accident that resulted in my receiving a traumatic brain injury and losing all of my memory. Unfortunately, I never regained those memories. At the age of 17, I had to start over completely. I started therapy and had to learn how to, how I had to relearn everything I lost, such as how to read, write, even talking, walking, and so much more. My knowledge of Christ was another thing that I lost after my accident. With no knowledge of who Christ was and no knowledge of the relationship I once had with him, I had to completely restart my walk with Christ. After healing from my accident, I was so, so angry. I wasn't quite sure who God was, but I felt that any God who loved me would not have put me through the challenges I was going through. In the midst of my anger, I wrote off Christ completely. Despite how hard my family was trying to help me to rebuild my relationship with God, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. I spent the next three years in so much hurt and turmoil. My life was falling apart even more than I could have imagined, and I knew that it was my time to go. I wrote my goodbye letters, and I planned out the way that I would take my life. But moments before I killed myself, I felt in my heart the need to stop. I can't quite explain the feeling. All I can say is that I truly believe it was God. For whatever reason, from that exact moment, I decided that I needed to give God another chance. And three years later, I now thank God every single day that he stopped me that day, and that even in the midst of my darkest moments, he didn't let me fall. That day was one of the hardest, yet most amazing days in my life. It was a day where I was planning to take my life, but instead God gave me a new one and saved my life. He had no reason to save me. Truly, I was so horrible to him, but he still did. 
And he not only saved me, but he opened my eyes to how powerful he is and what he can do in me. That day may not have been the day that I truly reaccepted God into my life. That took a little more time. But it absolutely was the day when I realized that without God, I had nothing. Since that day, my life has forever been changed for the better. I was baptized as a baby, and I absolutely love that my parents gave me to Christ at such an early age. With that being said, I'm not sure I really ever realized or accepted the weight and significance that baptism holds. Being a Christian was all I knew growing up. I didn't know there was anything different, but my brain injury changed that. And I truly believe now that one of the reasons that God had me grow through this injury is because he knew that I needed to choose him for myself, completely and fully on my own. That is one of the many reasons why this baptism is so important to me. It is the first time in my life that I will publicly show that I have accepted Jesus into my life solely because I wanted to. Not because my parents told me to, not because all my friends were believers, and not because that was all that I knew, but 100% because I know what a life without him feels like, and I never want another day to go by without him. I am so proud to be a child of God, and I am so grateful he has never given up on me. How cool is that? Yeah. And every one of the people who are being baptized today have their own beautiful story of what God has done in them, of how he has changed them and led them up to this moment where they will share this ceremony with all of us. That's the initial change of justification. Last week then, we talked about the second change, that ongoing change that God desires for us. We said the big church word for that is, is sanctification, justification and then sanctification. Sanctification is just simply the process of being changed from the inside out more and more into the people that God has created each one of us to be. And now this week, as we bring the series to a close, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that third and final type of change that is waiting for every follower of Jesus. It is the eternal change. I want us to talk today about the eternal change that is waiting for us in the end. Back when I was in high school and then in college, the joke in our guys' small group was always the same. The joke was that all we ever wanted to talk about was dating, the end times, and whether or not there would be dating in the end times. And I'm not planning to talk about dating today, but we will get into a little bit of the end times. So this is for all of you who wonder what that is going to bring. This is for those of you who wonder what, what is waiting for us at the end of this life. What is going to happen long term? What is going to happen for all of eternity? Today, I want us to look at the scriptures and see what is waiting for us. I want us to see together what, what we have in store. And I hope that when we walk out of here today, we will not just have clarity of information, but I hope that today will give us all a level of anticipation for the eternal change that is waiting for us. If you ever want to do a deeper dive into the eternal change, the place to go in Scripture to begin is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This very long chapter in 1 Corinthians gives us so much clarity on what to expect when it all comes to an end, but I want to start with just kind of the summary statement at the end of this chapter. At the end of this chapter, Paul says, listen to me, listen very carefully. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die before Christ comes back, that there will be some people still alive when he comes back. He says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be completely changed in a moment, 
In the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet call, for a trumpet will sound, and the dead who believed in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be completely changed, wondrously transformed. Just like over the last two weeks, I've given you kind of the big church name for the different types of change we experience, justification and sanctification. There's a a name for this eternal change that is waiting for us as well, and that word is glorification. So in the life of every follower of Jesus, we are invited to experience justification, sanctification, and then finally glorification. Glorification is the final step in the process of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and gives us our perfect resurrection bodies like his own. So now this is the definition of glorification that I want to unpack with you for a little bit. As you can see here, there are three steps to this process, or three parts of the definition. First of all, it's the final step in the process of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns. And then the third part of the definition is that when we are eternally changed, we will be given new resurrection bodies like the one that Jesus has. Now, I want to tell you, not just where, like, I don't want to just tell you this is what's coming. I want to show you in Scripture. Okay, it's important for us to understand that these, these thoughts about what is waiting for us didn't just come from our church fathers. It didn't just come from the founders you know, early on after Jesus. They didn't just sit around and go, well, what do we think it'll be like? Well, I think it'll be like this. And so, okay, let's, let's tell people that's what it'll be like. No, these thoughts come straight out of Scripture. And so we're going to unpack this over the next few minutes. But I'm going to warn you that just for the next few minutes, we're going to get a little technical. Okay, we're going, to get, we're going to get in there deep. We're going to move fast over some like big stuff, some big ideas. So we're going to move quickly. You're going to have to stay engaged, but I think you're up for it. Are you up for it? Are you with me now? Okay, just for the next few minutes, we're going to get pretty technical, but I want to break down this definition so we understand what's coming and we can look forward to it. All right, first, I said that the eternal change is the final step in the process of redemption. Redemption, of course, is the process of gaining something by exchanging something else for it. And so, for example, from time to time, my wife will load up the kids in the car and she'll take them to Culver's for dinner. And she'll go through the drive through lane and she'll get them each their kids' meal. And when they give them the food, her the bags of food at the window, she'll take the bags and she'll tear off this little piece of paper from the side of the bag, this coupon, and then she'll hand the bags on back to the kids and they'll eat their dinner. Then, later on, when the kids aren't in the car with her, she will go back through the drive through lane at Culver's, and what does she do? She redeems that coupon for some ice cream for herself, right? That is redemption. We all understand this. Your parents, you, you get what we're doing here. So we redeem those, right? That's redemption. Sometimes now, not only do we redeem something that way, but sometimes we redeem something that was already ours to begin with. This is what happens if you ever pawn something at a pawn shop, right? You go to a pawn shop and you get a loan for something. You say, here's my laptop, you get a loan. Well, then later on, you can redeem your laptop. Usually you're given like 30 days or something if you pay off the loan and the interest. You have redeemed something that was already yours to begin with. This is the gospel. This is the message at the center of our faith, that through Jesus and what he did, God has redeemed us. 
It's the reality that God created us to be his and to be in community with him. But our sin has created a debt that separates us from him. But through Jesus, because we couldn't pay the debt on our own, through Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, God has paid that debt and we can now be redeemed back to him. We see this, that that not only we will be redeemed, but ultimately at the end of the day, all of creation will be redeemed. Romans chapter 8 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only does all of creation, not only is all of creation waiting to be redeemed, but, but also we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's that word redeem. Notice though that it does not say we wait for the redemption of our souls or the redemption of our spirits. It said we wait for the redemption of our bodies. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. So the first part of understanding glorification is that it will be the final step in our redemption and the final step in the redemption of all of creation. The second part of this definition was that we were told that it would happen when Christ returns. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, just as everyone dies because we are all because we all belong to Adam. This is just saying because we're all descendants of Adam, that we're descendants of that first man and woman, because we are all human, we will die. But just like we will die, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised, here it is, when he comes back. So the second part of the definition of glorification is that we will be fully and finally redeemed when Christ returns. And the third part of this change is that we will be given new bodies. Let me take you to Philippians chapter 3 where we read, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, here it is, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our physical body will be transformed. It will be changed for all of eternity into something like his glorious body. And that is an amazing promise. Now, maybe you read that and you wonder, well, what's that going to be like? So I'll be given a new body, but is there anything else there? Are we told anything else? Yes, we are. We are told a little bit more about it. Let me take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is where Paul starts to talk about what our eternal bodies will be like, what our resurrection bodies will be like. And he uses the analogy of a seed. And he says, imagine that your body is a seed that has to be planted in the ground. Just like you plant a seed in the ground and something grows up back from it, so it will be with our physical bodies. Our physical bodies will be laid to rest in the ground, but what is raised back to life will be the eternal version of that. And he says it's going to be upgraded. It's going to be a little better. So he gives us four ways that our eternal bodies will be changed. Look at verses 42 through 44 of the chapter. He says, the body that is sown, again, like a seed, the body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. 
So Paul gives us four ways that our physical bodies will be redeemed for an eternal body. And it kind of looks like this. This is the, the way I would think of it as a chart or a graph. I think we've got them here with the perishable to an imperishable, dishonored to glorious, weak to powerful, natural to spiritual. And so I want to talk about each of these four ways for just a moment. First, our bodies will be imperishable, meaning that they will never perish, meaning that there will, there will be no more death, there will be no more dis- decay. We, we, our eternal bodies will last for all of eternity. Second, we're told that your eternal body will be raised, in quote, in glory. This is so awesome to think about because as you read through the scriptures, we see that word glory frequently used, but you know who it's almost always used to refer to? Who does the word glory in scripture almost always refer to? God. Yeah, yeah, it's not a trick question. It's, it's used to refer to God. And when we read the word glory in scripture, what we see is that God's glory is exploding off of him like this brilliant light, this bright, beautiful light that is just radiating off of him. And it's the same word used here for our eternal bodies. It's the idea that our dim, dull, broken down bodies that are not shining, except for me when I go out in the sun and it just radiates because I'm so pale, our dim, dull bodies will be raised in glory. This is reflected in even what Jesus said about our bodies after he came back or comes back. In Matthew 13, Jesus is quoted as saying, after he comes back, then the righteous will shine like the sun. Third, we're told that our weak bodies will be changed into strong, even powerful bodies. This is good news for anyone who is less than enthused about the current state of your physical body. Quick show of hands here in just a minute after I read this list, but if any of the things I'm about to say apply to you and your physical body, when I'm done reading the list, would you just raise your hand? Okay, if your current body, you have to deal with any sort of aches or pains, if you get sore muscles, if you have headaches, if you ever feel tired or days when you have low levels of energy... If your hearing is fading, your hair is falling out, you can't eat all you want because your metabolism isn't what it used to be, or you have trouble sleeping at night, would you please raise your hand? Yes! We're like, come Lord Jesus, right? And I'm with you. I'm 38, and I have pretty much chronic lower back pain. My back just always hurts. I'm like, I'm 38. Like, I thought that wasn't coming for a couple decades, but it's there. It's like, I get it. Our weak body is going to be traded in for a a powerful body. And finally, we're told that our bodies will become spiritual. We're told that we will trade in our natural bodies for a spiritual body. Now, let me explain this one a little bit because this is where people get confused. What it's not saying is that we will trade in our natural bodies for a spiritual body in the sense that we're going to have this like transparent, floating around body like a ghost or something. That's not what it's saying at all. And in fact, in a lot of other places in Scripture, it is very clear that we will have a physical body just like Jesus had a physical body after he rose from the dead. Remember that Jesus walked on the road with people who couldn't tell him apart from anybody else. They didn't know there was anything special about him because his physical body didn't allude to any, anything being different about him. He talked with people. He ate with people. They touched his physical body. They touched the scars that he had from the cross, and yet he had his resurrection body. So we will have a physical body, but it will no longer be our natural body, meaning it will no longer be the body that is constrained by the laws of nature. 
Our physical bodies today are constrained in all sorts of ways because of the laws of nature. Our bodies today are weighed down and burdened by the, by the weight and the pain of our sin nature. And so what will happen is our eternal bodies will be, will be raised in a spiritual sense. They will be the full, complete spiritual body that God has intended for us to have that will not be constrained by the laws of nature. It will not be weighed down by the, the nature of our sin nature. And so we see this, again, in Jesus' resurrection body. When the disciples were gathered together in the upper room hiding out, Jesus just appeared before them. Apparently, he just walked through the door, even though he had a physical body. But his physical body was not constrained by the laws of nature. And so it will be, we're told, for us, for those of us who will receive our eternal change through the process of glorification. It will be a good change. So let me give you the definition of this one more time. Glorification is the final step in the process of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and gives us our perfect resurrection bodies like his own. Now the question is, why does it matter? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, gosh, John, you just covered like a massive amount of systematic theology in about 10 minutes. Like, I don't know that I really caught any of that. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again. But really, John, why does it matter? Like, if it's going to happen when Christ comes back, like, I'll just, I'll figure it out when it gets there, right? Like, why do I need to worry about it today? Why do I need to know about it today? What's, why does it matter? And that's a fair question. But it matters because every single day, you and I are confronted with the limitations of this life. It matters because every single day, you and I are reminded of the brokenness of our earthly bodies and the brokenness of the world we live in. It matters because every single day, you and I are subjected to the pain that comes from that brokenness. But God did not intend for this to be our reality. And he is committed to making it right once and for all. And that is the change that is coming for us when Christ comes back. And so understanding the eternal change that is waiting for us is critical because it gives us hope in the face of despair. Understanding the eternal change that is waiting for us gives us hope when we feel beaten down. It gives us hope when we can't see past the, the, the surface of our problems. It gives us hope when we are frustrated by the fact that so many things in our world today are not the way that we know deep in our hearts that they should be. Am I speaking to anybody who feels frustrated by the reality of this world? We know deep inside of us that it should not be the way that our world is. There is something deep inside of all of us that listens to the arguing and the fighting and the, and the hatred in our world, and we go, that's not how it's supposed to be, and God is in heaven going, amen, it's not, and I got an eternal change coming for you, and it's called glorification, and it is good. And this is why it matters to understand that, because understanding what is coming for us gives us a level of hope no matter how bad things get around us and no matter how bad our bodies break down or the world and the culture around us, there is a change coming. And so we are invited to understand that and to look forward to that in anticipation. 
This is why the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, since then, since you have been raised with Christ, he tells us because of that, here's what you should do. You should set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so in the midst of our ongoing change, in the midst of our sanctification, and in the midst of our work to bring God's kingdom to our community and to expand the kingdom of God in our world today, in the midst of all of that, we keep our minds and our eyes fixed on what is in heaven not on what is here in earth. No matter how painful or good your current reality is, there is a glorious, eternal change waiting for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, why would you wait another day? It is the free gift of God that we receive by grace through faith. It's not from our works. You don't have to do anything to earn it because then we would boast about that. But it is simply the free gift of God. It's the free gift of grace that he offers to all of us to say, to say God, I recognize that, 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 that you're God and I'm not God. You say, God, I recognize that I can't earn my way to you. I can't do enough to, to make myself better. I can't break my sin nature on my own. But Lord, I recognize that you sent your son to pay the penalty for my sin so that through him and through faith, I can be redeemed. And then you just receive that. You experience the initial change of justification you step into the process of sanctification where God slowly begins changing you from the inside out more and more into the person he created you to be. And you do it all knowing that at the end of your life, you have glorification waiting for you. It is a beautiful thing. And that is what we celebrate when we celebrate the baptism ceremonies of people who go public with their faith. And so today... We get to do exactly that. Today, we're going we're gonna to celebrate as some folks go public with their faith in the ceremony of baptism. And so the way that this is going to work is, is, is that the band is going to come out now and they're going to they're gonna lead us in some worship. And during that worship, we're going to have the opportunity to worship, but also to watch the baptisms that will be happening down front here. Now, before the band comes, we wanted to take just a few minutes to share some more of the stories of people who are being baptized with you today. Anybody that we could convince to sit down in front of the camera and let us film it. And so take a look at these stories and then let's worship together as we celebrate lives that have been forever changed. <laughs> 